Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Sometimes I feel pretty overwhelmed. Sometimes regular things in life can be overwhelming, can't they? Especially, they, you know, they come in a certain combination and it kind of takes you off guard. But, but I'm thinking more as I sit, sat today and and watch the names of the communities go by. All those people. Almost a half a million people. And 31 communities. All of them with an eternal destiny. And the majority of them don't know Christ. And they need to know. And there are, I'm sure, many out there who do know Christ, but they need to grow. They need to, to know how to live for Him. How to have Him address the issues of their lives so they can glorify Him, so they can help reach others. But it's, it's overwhelming. And you know, to be honest, when I think about it, it's like, this, this is nuts. <laughs> how in the world can we expect to actually make it so that all of these people have a genuine opportunity to know Christ. For that opportunity to, to be real to them, first of all, it has to be genuine, it has to be a real opportunity somewhere, somehow, that they can connect. And secondly, for it to be genuine, they have to know about it, don't they? I mean, because we could say, well, we're here, right? Just come here, we'll, we'll teach you the gospel, the gospel, we'll teach you it, right? But let's face it, there's a half a million people out there, and a lot of them don't even know we exist. And so it would be overwhelming, except for this one thing. The God that we serve. He's big enough to do it, isn't he? Powerful enough, knowledgeable enough. But it's interesting to me, the story we're going to look at today, in fact, turn your, your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. That when Jesus was on earth, when the Son of God was on earth, I think that he looked at the situation, and because he was completely human as well as completely God, as he looked at the situation, I think there was a sense in which he may have felt overwhelmed. Not any sense of lack of faith, but just overwhelmed by the size of the task. So we're going to be on page 1121 if you're using the Bible in the pew, and we do encourage you to follow along with this. If you don't have your own Bible, the Bible in the pew, page 1121, Matthew chapter 9. Jesus has been doing miraculous things. He's calmed the wind and the waves. He's healed his, his, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. You ever wonder if Peter was grateful for that or not? I'm kidding, okay. He's, he's cast out demons, healed people paralyzed. He's changing lives. Uh, he's healing blind men. And a girl who's died, he brings back to life. Someone who couldn't speak, he casts a demon out, he can speak. And we get down to verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But 
when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So there's multi, he, he's going all these places, preaching, teaching, ministering, healing, setting people free, <clears throat> and yet he looks up and what does he see? Multitudes more. Multitudes. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, we come to you now and I ask you, Lord, to speak to us through your word today. Challenge us about the things we need to be challenged about. Encourage us in those things we need to be encouraged in. And may we end up where you want us to be with the truths from your word today. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> A few things that I, want, I think that we need to see from this passage today and the first one is this, it's pretty self-evident that we live in a hurting world. Have you noticed that lately? That you live in a hurting world? You know, you talk to people, how are you doing? Maybe if you aren't even close to them, I, mean, I know that uh, you know, Dave and I have this experience because every week we try to get out together and spend time together. And then uh, the, the waitress will come up and talk and say, you know, they, we ask, how are you doing today? Oh, okay, you know, and... And if you talk just a little bit longer, next thing you discover is that they're hurting about something. There's something in their life that isn't the way that they wished it was, you know? There's a struggle and a difficulty, and they don't know how to deal with it. It's a hurting world, you know? You talk to people, you're going to find out that, you know, they have relationships that are either ending or about to end. They have financial struggles that they cannot see any way out. They have health issues in the middle of those things. They, they're reaching points in life where they thought, well, my life, I never expected it to be this way, and now, you know, they, they're lost with where to, I mean, it's a mess. And, and the reality is, is, not only is this world a hurting world, but those people are going to die. And if they die without Christ, it only gets worse. It'd be nice to think that as we're Christians that we are people who don't have hurts in the middle of a hurting world. But it ain't so, is it? You got any hurts today? At some level, there's some place in your life that really, you know, isn't where you wish it was, where you hoped it could be. You're facing things that you don't. We as Christians have those things too. The good news is that we don't go through it alone. We go through it with the Lord Jesus Christ and we can go through it with each other. That's good news. But we're part of this hurting world. We all need Jesus. We, we all need 100% of whatever he has to give us. And whatever he's going to do for us, we need it all. And, and if you don't believe this today, that, you know, the world is hurting and we're part of this hurting world and we're in it with them, if you don't believe this, you're really just fooling yourself and, and you're setting yourself up for when suddenly you're going to discover the reality of this truth. The consequences will be devastating if you don't understand that we live in a hurting world and that we are also hurting with this world. And we need to hurt for the world. And really that's what Jesus says here. 
The idea is when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. It says, for they were weary and scattered. And this word that's translated weary uh, really communicates they're weary and tired because they're harassed. It just doesn't let, has anybody ever harassed you? Anybody who just got on you and wouldn't let up? Harassed you? Well, see, that's what happens in our world. It doesn't have to be a person doing it, it can be life doing it. And so they're harassed and they're scattered, they're lost. What happens to a, a herd animal when they get separated from the herd or the flock? They become vulnerable, don't they? The safest place to be. It was so cool, and I know some of you probably saw the video, but I was sitting in my uh, dining room yesterday morning uh, reading my Bible and, and drinking some coffee and, and looked out the window and I saw something move. And sure enough, it was a deer. And this deer wandered down, down a hill in the back and across the backyard, almost up to my deck. And uh, I learned something years ago hunting. I haven't hunted in years, but I learned something. These deer are smarter than you think. And they're really stupid, but they're smarter than you think. <laughs> because, and those of you who are hunters can attest to this, I've, I've been out in the woods and seen a deer and watched a deer and seen it, and it walks by, and it's out of range, and, and you watch it and you go, okay, it's gone, and so then you move. And the three that were standing over here watching then run, and they all run, right? Because they, they, they do watch out for each other, and they signal each other with their tails and their noises. They do that stuff. But if you get one deer out there by themselves, much more vulnerable. And so Jesus sees these people, and he says, yes, they're worn out, they are harassed by life, they're getting beat up by life, and they're scattered, they're vulnerable. They're, in, you know, don't even have that group of, the, of people to take care of them. And he had compassion on them. Did Jesus have compassion on us? Did he have compassion on you? Yes, Jesus had compassion on us. He saved us from Satan's grasp, didn't he? I used to be in the kingdom of darkness. I used to belong under the authority of Satan. But Jesus saved me, April 4th, 1975, and it says that he, he took me from the kingdom of darkness and pulled me over into the kingdom of light and freed me from Satan's grasp. And he became our shepherd. He became the one who leads us through life. He leads us with so much love. He is so patient with us. He, he has the power to meet our deepest needs. Jesus had compassion on us and he has 100% of anything that we will ever need in this life or the one to come. He has it all for us. So we live in this hurting world. We're part of it, but Jesus has had compassion on us. And then he says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He points them to the harvest. And so we see this, that Jesus wants us to see people the way he does. He wants us to see him the way he does. He wants to see us to see him with, with compassion because they are in a world of hurt and they're faced for an eternity of hurt and they desperately need him. 
We need to see like Jesus. Jesus tells us that if we go out and preach the gospel, we go through the word here, he's very clear, if we go out and preach the gospel, what is going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm asking. Some people will get saved. There are people out there who will respond to the gospel if we share it with them, if we reach out to them, if we care for them, if we, we model Christ's love into their lives and they, they can hear and listen then. There are many who will respond if they know about him, if. Someone needs to tell them. And Jesus tells us here that there aren't very many people who are devoted to telling. There aren't very many. Laborers are few. And so he tells his disciples and he tells us, you need to pray. I mean, let's just think of it from a practical standpoint. Half a million people and let's say uh, there's 150 of us in here today. What's that give us? 30,000 each? I think. I'm not sure if I did my math. But that's about right. The harvest is plenty as the laborers are few. And so he says, pray for people. Pray for laborers, people who will go out into that harvest and work at reaching others for Christ. so you could get discouraged, couldn't you? you could, we, and we could feel overwhelmed in our, our own human limitations. We are overwhelmed, but we need to understand this. The needs are great. The needs are great, but God's solution is greater than all of the needs. But people just don't know that. The needs are great, but God's solution is greater than all the needs combined. But if people don't know it, what good does it do them? See, the people of the world don't know that they can have a personal relationship with Christ. They might have their religion. They might even say the words Jesus, but most of those folks do not know what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. They know about him, but they don't know him personally. I know about lots of famous people, but I don't know them personally. Plenty of them I don't want to know. But Jesus is worth knowing. So that they don't know. The people of our nation don't know. There are people in our nation who, who do know, but overall the people of our nation do not understand this truth. What's, we have 300 million in our nation today, I think, and growing. The people in our state don't know. Massachusetts, last night it's five-something million people they don't know the laborers are few the harvest is plenteous millions but the laborers are few the people in central Massachusetts don't know they don't know that they can be saved they don't know that their lives can be changed they don't know they can be set free from the bonds of sin in this life and free for all eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ the, the people in our communities don't know All the communities that you saw go by up there today in that video. Leicester, Auburn, Oxford, Charlton. We go on and on. I, I don't want to leave anybody's town now. Worcester. 
They don't know. And so Jesus says, pray, right? They need to know. Pray that someone will go tell them. Pray for for laborers to go out there into that harvest. The people who live across the street from you. I don't know your specific situation, but there's a, a high likelihood that they don't know. People who live next door to you may not know. The people that, we, that you work side by side with all week, many of them, most of them, probably don't know. They don't know about Jesus. So you do get it? Are you getting it? They don't know because no one is telling them. They don't know because no one is sharing it with them because the laborers are few. And so pray for God to send out people who will tell others that they can have a personal relationship with God. We, you know, we need to make that maybe a regular part of our prayer time, shouldn't we? It's one of the things that Jesus specifically said to pray for. So maybe when we have our times of prayer, we ought to try to remember as often as we can to include that, that God would send forth people. Lord, send people to tell those folks. Send out laborers and ask God to do what he said in his word here. And so we pray and ask God to send it out. But now wait just a minute. Didn't Jesus say to us as his followers, in the same way the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you into the world? Did Jesus say that? Okay. Didn't he say to us, go? Go into all the world, including your communities, your neighborhoods, your workplaces. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Tell them about me. That they can have a relationship with me. Didn't Jesus say that? Did Jesus say that? Didn't he say go into all the world and tell, share the gospel, share the good news with every person? Didn't he say that? The whole world? He said that. To who? To me. And to you. Didn't he say you will be my witnesses starting right where you live and from there on out into the rest of the world? Did he say that? Are you guys with me? So when Jesus said, pray that God would send out people who are willing to work at making sure others know they can have a genuine, saving, life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Is he, is he saying, pray that, there will be, that God will call preachers to proclaim the gospel? Is he, is he telling us to pray for that? I'm not trying to trick you here. Would it be good that we had more and more preachers out there proclaiming the gospel in these communities? When he says pray for laborers, does he mean to pray for missionaries, that God would call missionaries who would go to other cultures and places and share the gospel? Absolutely. But my question is this. When you're praying for these laborers, you know, somebody ought to do something. God, send forth laborers. Call these preachers. Call missionaries. Send these out. I wonder who we're really praying for first. Send out labors, Father. Well, who, 
Who am I praying for first? Who's going to be first in that list? You find the answer to that question when you look in a mirror. Who are you praying first that God would send out? Look in a mirror. And you'll see who that is. And if you look in that mirror and that person in the mirror will not step up and get serious about the mission God has called us to, what hope do you have that anyone else will respond and go? Jesus is calling us. He's calling me. He's calling every one of you, all of us, to give 100% of ourselves to him. Here I am, all of me, Father, all that I have, all that I am, all that I can do, all that I know, all of my strengths, all my weaknesses. I'm 100% yours. He's calling us to do that and to say to him, yes, Lord, I will give my life serving you. And if, if this is, you have me in this job, I'll give my life serving you in this job and, and, and be your laborer there. If he wants you to be a preacher, you do that. Whatever, you, you, you say, I am yours. I will share you with this hurting world that we live in. I will be a laborer in your harvest. I will get involved with your church as together we work out to get, how to get the good news out to people who desperately need to know you. You might be here today and say, well, but I'm one of those people who still need to know Jesus. Well, that's, that's good news if you're aware of that. Let us help you with that today. Mark it right down on one of those communication cards and give it to us or talk to us. We'll connect with you and sit down with you and show you how you can have a personal relationship with Christ. But there's a whole other bunch of you here today. You're saying, you know, wow, I am a Christian. But you remember when you talked about the world hurting and that we're part of it? <laughs> That's me. My life is so messed up, there's no way in the world. I don't know how I can even imagine thinking about trying to get out there and share Jesus with other people. You know, I, I have to get my life in order before I can do that. How in the world can I help someone else if I don't have it together? Well, consider this. If a ship hits an iceberg a thousand miles from shore and they radio out and say, we're going down. And so they send the Coast Guard and they send a plane and a, and a helicopter. But the reality is they're on the way, but that boat's going down a long time before they get there. And the only people who can help to rescue people at that point are the ones who are in the same boat. Do you understand? Help's coming, but it's the ones who are there in the water with the other people, the one who has a life vest on who can reach out and just pull someone over, the one who's found something to float on who can grab someone, and pull. someone who's fortunate enough to be in a lifeboat dragging people aboard. But it's the people who are in the same boat. And I, what I try to say earlier, this is a hurting world and we are in the same boat. So it doesn't matter whether you got your life together or not. It doesn't matter what problems you have in your life at this point in time. And yes, we want to help with that and we all want to grow and, and, and be free and all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, there's someone next to you who's going under. And you can just reach out a hand. 
And that's how you can answer. Be that first answer to the prayer that you're praying. When it comes to being sinners in need of a Savior, we are all in the same boat. And every day, every day you are out in the world with people who are going under. Your life doesn't have to be perfect or anywhere close to it for you to simply reach out a hand and say, I understand. I know someone who can help you. That's all you got to do. Look in a mirror today and find the first answer to the prayer Jesus told you to pray. In fact, every time you see a mirror from now on, I want you to think, that's who God's calling to go. That's him. That's her. Well, I want to leave you this morning with a challenge regarding what God has done for us in, in the gospel, what it, what it means in our own lives, and then because of that, what he's called us to do and, and how from the heart that we ought to respond to this. And so it's, I'm going to show you a video. It's a longer video. It's about 11 minutes long, but that'll be the end of the sermon. And if you back there could make sure that this is getting recorded as well so that it goes on the recording, okay? So this is simply entitled The Gospel, and you'll hear a man, he's, he's preaching, but then there is um, video, someone walking through this as he does. So let's watch now. to introduce you to the gospel right now you are a rebel whether you want to acknowledge it or not I'll tell you straight up you are a rebel against the living God this is your natural disposition why because you are born in sin we are in a prison cell and it takes the awakening and the grace of God you call it the provenient grace of God to awaken us to the fact that we are lost and we can't get out we're headed towards destruction fast the enemy, because of our rebellion against God, has legal rights to harm and harass our life. There you are behind the prison cell. Help! I need out! You can't get out. Those prison bars are stronger than any adamant. There is no way you can cut them because they're stronger than diamond. It is impenetrable. You cannot escape. You're doomed because when the enemy comes in in the very end and he's going to finish you off because he has legal right to do it and he's going to relish every minute of it. In strolls your intercessor, your mighty man. And he stands between you and that accuser and he takes the hit that was rightfully yours. He takes the blow that was intended for you. That is an extraordinary reality that he was turned to a pulp and he actually died. God died for you. Over your prison cell, it is always said, condemned, separated eternally from God, guilty. And then suddenly it switches. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done, it says justified. It says forgiven, redeemed. 
Here's the problem. Most of us have stopped with the good news right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and he was killed. And I want you to know that is unbelievable news. But we are still in a prison cell. And so we're praising God from within a prison cell going, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing the sign on the outside of the prison. And God's word says, could you check the door to the prison cell? Because my blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue through which he could make the escape for us. He isn't just interested in dealing with the consequences or the penalty of sin. He's also dealt with the problem of sin. Test the door. It's unlocked. The door to the prison cell is unlocked. Walk out. Smell the open air of freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. When you get outside the prison cell, there's like this chariot that's waiting. Emissaries from the king, and they say, the king beckons you into his presence. You know how bizarre this is when you realize that you were a rebel? That you were undeserving completely? The living God has literally given up his life for you, and now he has set you free, and now the very king is beckoning you into his presence? It's like, are you sure you have the right guy here? I'm a rebel. I, I stood against my God. I spat in his face. How, how could he want me? The king beckons you. You get in the chariot. And as you're pulling into the kingdom, you're looking for where they might drop you off. You're looking for that poor district. You say, where, where are you taking me? Well, into the very near presence of the king. He wants you to live right where he lives. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, but an invitation into his very near presence. But as you're coming in, the emissaries say, he wants to adopt you as his child. Me? We are brought in and invited near to share his heart. You come into his presence totally broken before the reality of what he has done for you. I don't deserve this. Why have you done this for me? I love you. I have a commission for you. For me? You want to have me work for you? I want you to work for me. I want you to represent me. Absolutely. Anything I can do for you, just tell me. I need you to go back to that prison cell that I took you out of because there's a whole bunch more that need to know about me and my love and my truth. Will you go for me? In a heartbeat, I would, I would gladly serve you any way you want, any way you ask. I need to forewarn you. I'm going to send you out and you'll be as a sheep among wolves. They'll kill you. They'll destroy you. They'll hate you. They'll persecute you. They will do whatever they can to harm you. I'm in. I'll do it, God. I don't care. You shed your blood for me. I would gladly shed my blood for you. Take my body. Take my blood. Spend it any way you want. I belong to you in, in covenant. Take me, Lord Jesus. Send me. The commission, not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, but we are commissioned to represent him. And I want you to realize that is a privilege beyond all other privileges to bear the very name, the very image, the very reputation of God Almighty. And he says, I ask you to go. 
Go and make disciples of all men. Go and be unashamed of my gospel and preach it. Go, rescue the lost in the power of my name. For is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering? I'll go. And as you're beginning to head out with his blessing, he says, hold it. Wait, there's one more thing. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as the son or a daughter of the king, and not just the commission. This is the capstone. If you think that is all good, you could wrap that all up into one ball and it still falls short of the final one. Because this final one is so condescending on the part of our king. It is so bewildering. It is so extraordinary, so amazing. And this is the truth that turns the world upside down. Before you go, what I'm sending you out to do is impossible. I know. And if you do it in your own strength, you'll fail. I don't care. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. And if you want me to go in there and just die, I'm willing. I'm sending you out to be a victor. My children will not lose. Would you give me your body? And I will come in and make it my home. And I will take those hands of yours and make them my hands. I will take those feet of yours and make them my feet. I will take that mouth of yours and it will speak my words. I will take those eyes of yours and they can now see what I need you to be seen in this world. And I will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh so that it will beat with my burdens and you will care for the very things that I care about. And your prayers will become my prayers. And your life and your attitude and your behavior every minute of every day will be the very behavior of God. Will you allow me to overtake your life? Because then we go into this world as little lambs with the faces of lions. Because the living God Almighty, the consuming, almighty, sovereign God dwells within his children. And as we stand and the wolf pack surrounds us, we stand in the authority in the name of Jesus and we will not back down because we do not head off to war to lose. We head off to war to win. Our God mocks all the powers of earth and hell through fluffy little lambs because his lambs beat the wolf packs. That's the gospel. The gospel trounces upon all the powers of earth and hell and demonstrates to the universe the manifold wisdom of God that he is in control. And even though we look weak, and even though physically and naturally we are weak, spiritually greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. That is good news. And it is a lot better than what's being dealt out today in the church. We need to rise up, proclaim the gospel, and say, I'm unashamed of it. Dear Lord Jesus, take what is rightfully yours. Don't just send us. Send us with yourself, firmly planted within our souls. We cannot do your work. We cannot bring you glory, even though we're willing to do it without you. Please, if you want to come with us, why in the world would we ever try on our own? You don't have to go on your own. You don't have to pull off the impossible on your own. You don't have to fail any longer. Your God is ready to do it in and through you. You can't do it. You can't muster up the discipline. You can't muster up the intellect. You can't muster up the strength. You can't muster up the perseverance and the fortitude. He can. You can't love the lost. You can't love those that spit upon your face. He can. 
Don't pray that God would teach you how to love like he loves. Pray that he would fill you with himself and he would love in and through you. Don't pray that he would teach you to have joy. Pray that the living God full of joy would enter into you. Don't pray that he would teach you how to be peaceful. Ask for the God of peace, the Prince of Peace to infill you. Because if you try and imitate your own strength, you will be a miserable replica. But if you allow the impartation of Jesus Christ to overtake you, suddenly it all works. Because it's him imitating himself. And he's very good at being God. God to come in and work in my life and use me and use us together and take what he's done for us and share it and his strength, all those things that we just saw. To be those laborers in the harvest. If that's you right now, just, just, just stand with me and I'm going to pray. So if that's where your heart is, just stand. Father, I'm overwhelmed by what you've called us to. I'm overwhelmed by the gospel. Overwhelmed by what you promised to do in us and through us. And I pray, Father, that you will use us to carry you, your message, your life to those that you've placed in our lives and then on around the world somehow, some way. Be honored and glorified in us, Father. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.